You're listening to Supply Chain Radio. I am Matt Gunn, joined in studio today by Suha Schrader. Suha, it's great to have you here. Hey, Matt. How's it going? Very good. Now, those of you in listener land can't see this, but we're actually in the same room, which is a pretty rare thing. This is. And so we're going to make the most of it and make a new podcast, as we do. <laughs> we're in uh, we're in New York City, and it's pretty rainy. Yeah, that's right. We picked the dreariest week of the year, and we're going to talk about a subject that is a little bit dreary. We're going to talk about making it rain or... Not. Yeah, or those gloomy gray skies. But uh, see what else. We're going to talk about something in the news. Tell us a little bit about our favorite disruptive electric car company. Uh, so we have Tesla here, and there's a story in the Wall Street Journal where Tesla is asking some of its suppliers for cash back to help it turn a profit. It's a little bit of an interesting and unusual development, to say the least, for a company to be going to its suppliers to try to help it get back into the black and asking for cash from its suppliers. We've often talked about supply chain finance and the health of the financial supply chain. To me, that doesn't bode well here, you know, when you're going to your suppliers to try to make yourself profitable. Yeah, I would say that's a big warning sign. I mean, at a certain point when you're procuring these goods and when you're sourcing suppliers and building out your supply chain, you're going to negotiate that price and build in a structure that should, you know, help all ships raise with the uh, rising tides of your successful business. But that tells you there are issues at the top that tells you that there's strain being felt across the supply chain. And now this large company or this growing force in the auto business is, is asking its suppliers to take a hit. And we're all about promoting and sustaining supplier health in the supply chain. Because obviously, if the supplier isn't able to support your business, then you're in trouble as a business, right? Yeah, exactly. What's interesting about that is Tesla's production problems and delivering on demand has been widely known. And so when you're going to these suppliers who, I mean, most suppliers are operating on pretty thin margins as it is, right? And their cash flow isn't great. You're going to them and asking for cash back so that you can be profitable and clearly, this is going to impact you know your supply and also going to probably impact your production because if your suppliers then are taking a hit in some way and they themselves can't deliver properly, then you're going to get even farther behind on production. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, also, you know, don't forget demand. All of a sudden, you know, Tesla used to be the darling of the auto industry. They released their initial car, which was based off of like a Lotus Elise body. So they weren't necessarily building the whole thing from scratch. But it was exciting, and it got people's imagination sparked, and it kind of gave them the runway they needed to start developing consumer products that they could go to market with. But then all of a sudden, it became, well, you have to reserve it, pay in advance. It's going to be a while to get it, but here's kind of a window that you're going to receive it. Those customers waited. Some of them had to go through delays to receive that product because the supply chain wasn't as tightly run, perhaps, as it could have been. And then when it comes out, you're also seeing some quality control issues on the other end. So you're asking your suppliers to take a hit when all of a sudden your reputation's getting a little bit damaged on the front end because what you are delivering isn't great. So I could see maybe going to a supplier and saying, look, these things aren't what you promised us. We have to renegotiate our rates. Maybe that gives you a little wiggle room. But again, all of those things kind of give you this like kind of warning sign about what is going on in the supply chain to cause these issues. Yeah, and that's a fair point. But I think one of the things that tends to happen is these suppliers are strategic partners at the end of the day, and their success is going to yield your success. 
And so there might be a little bit of give and take in a healthy way, and that's a great thing, but one cannot lift up the other by itself, right? And so there's this kind of symbiotic relationship that needs to exist. And in the case of Tesla, it's actually quite interesting because you have this disruptor to a very established industry, right, automotive. And the thing with Tesla was the idea that they could go it alone for the most part. And by trying to do that, to try to build their entire production facility from scratch and to really try to make very ambitious production goals happen in a very short amount of time, it produced a lot of challenges. And so I think it's an important lesson for any company that's looking to break in and disrupt a sector that's very established is that you can't just focus on the technology or the marketing. It's really the supply chain and the operations that's going to make you successful in that endeavor or not. Yeah, the supply chain is ultimately who you are, that end product that is the sum of all these other pieces, whether it's a manufacturer that you're working with, like a factory or a supplier for components or even like, you know, a chemical company that's supplying the battery technology that you need. All of that stuff has to work really tightly and perfectly together. And the product has to deliver. It's funny, we often talk about disruption in the supply chain. This time we're talking about a disruptor that's being disrupted by what sounds like its own arrogance. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's so easy to get carried away with a new technology coming in and the potential for that to really change the market. And in a lot of ways, Tesla has, right? If you look at the electric car market before Tesla, it was largely dormant, right? After that, EV1 that was famously enshrined in Who Killed the Electric Car the <laughs> documentary. Worked on one road. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it became something that people became enthusiastic about and it certainly caused the other automakers to start looking into creating electric cars. At the same time, you also had disruptors like rideshare services like Lyft and Uber that when you combine all of that together, there is this revolution that's happening in automotive one way or the other, whether it's vehicles that are driverless, vehicles that are electric. And so Tesla provided a very important component to that. But the issue is, can you really take a company in such a short amount of time, really like 10 years or so, from being a niche player for sort of very wealthy electric car enthusiasts to trying to make it into a mass-produced, mass-market company, electric car company on the likes of GM or Ford. And that is not a question of vision. That's a question of operations. Yeah. Execution. Yeah. I mean, we all know supply chain is very hard. It's very complicated. Like no one's going to discount that. And in the case of Tesla, there are a lot of noble efforts and they have changed in industry. When you look at the kinds of cars people are shopping for now and the kinds of technologies that Ford or GM or Toyota are using. I mean, Toyota's been doing the gas-electric hybrid for a while. There's various flavors of that coming from the big domestic automakers and foreign automakers as well. Now, all of a sudden, you're seeing the shift to fuel cell or a full electric or even hydrogen in the case of Toyota, and it has moved the market altogether. But yes, to your point, market forces have changed too. Consumers are different. They don't expect to own things all the time. Their view of a vehicle or some hard good like that that's supposed to last is completely different and in some cases less necessary than it used to be, at least in urban areas. And it is quite interesting 
and you know we shouldn't pretend that the book is written on tesla by any means like if there's anything that we've seen from them is they're scrappy and they'll keep fighting and they'll continue to push the envelope how they can but you're right it comes down to the final product what you're delivering and really the ecosystem that you build in the supply chain to ensure that the quality is there to ensure that what you're promising through your marketing and your messaging is actually what's being delivered and to drive satisfaction in your consumers, of course, but also among your suppliers to keep them engaged and working with you, especially when you're using exclusive components or when things are built from scratch for your product, your end product. Because you know what? All of a sudden, it's a much bigger market for electric cars. And when you have someone with buying power of a Ford or a Chevy or a you know Toyota or something like that, and they can offer you better financing, more sustainable business, and the sense of security that comes with knowing that you are an engaged partner with that business and that you are strategic to their success, it certainly changes those suppliers' minds too. So that is another potential risk somewhere in that supply chain. Yeah, absolutely. If you look at this kind of dynamic, the financial dynamic between a buyer and a supplier in an area like automotive, and you see the trends with self-driving cars and rideshare. To me, it almost looks like like the high-tech industry trend, like smartphones, for instance. You have, let's say, iOS, iPhones versus Android devices, right? And maybe because of the marketing and because of the software, they look very different. They look like two completely different beasts and with different components. But largely, if you look at what's inside an iPhone, a lot of the same suppliers are providing the chips, providing the antenna, providing... So if you have a common pool of suppliers that are providing parts that can be differentiated in certain ways and customized in certain ways, but the market has accepted the fact that there are these standards that are going to exist, that seems to be healthy for everybody and doesn't seem to kill competition because there is still that ability to put your unique spin on it. And I think that with Tesla and perhaps with the electric car market, it's going to become inevitable that some of these suppliers and components producers are going to have to become a little bit more universal. There's going to have to be some sort of standardization between them. And I think that'll be healthy for everybody. I think that'll give the opportunity for engineers to do equally innovative things with components that are out there in the marketplace. And I think it'll also open up the avenue for, let's say you are a, a automotive company and you have a network of suppliers you'll be able to switch suppliers much more easily, right? You'll have these relationships with them where if one can't deliver, you can easily switch to something else. And the financial model will also scale with that because if you have this network of suppliers that is easily accessible, you can offer all of them different types of financing. And so it won't be as disruptive if one of them can't deliver on what you need. You can switch a lot more easily. And so I think that looking at this market as an ecosystem that is interdependent is actually, it would be a very beneficial thing for the auto industry to do. And I think Tesla, in a lot of ways, absolutely, you're right, man. I'm not writing them off. I think they're definitely scrappy and innovative and, and can come up with a lot of different ways to, to succeed. But I think it would also behoove them to kind of look a little bit more at their supply chain and see if there's an opportunity for innovation there. You know, is there a way that they can create a difference in the supply chain for electric cars that might benefit everybody. And that would be a truly revolutionary thing as well. Right. And then you're really changing the world at that point. Yeah. 
rather than doing it at just the end product stage. But I think you're right. I think that the ecosystem, the platform approach, I mean, I think all of those things are kind of where a lot of different technologies and products are going. I mean, even cars have been there. I mean, you know, look at a current platform for a vehicle. It's built on a five-year cycle. It's supposed to be sustainable. It's supposed to be easily repeatable and interchangeable in some ways when you get new components or suppliers. And so, yeah, there's a lot that, you know, maybe you have to look even backwards in your own sort of industry that you're trying to change to find out where there's room for advancement, where there's room for, you know, taking the processes that have worked and improving on those rather than necessarily reinventing the whole thing. Big, tough world of supply chain, but a lot of areas that we can learn from. We look at the supply chain space so often as an area to disrupt and revolutionize, but there's a reason that it got the way that it is. And there's a reason for all of the complexity that exists. And there are good people who have thought about systems that are in place right now. And they might not be the most efficient going forward, but there were some valuable lessons to be taken from those experiences and those systems. And it's better to learn from those than to throw everything out and start from scratch. Yeah, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Exactly. And, you know, <laughs> what are the other <laughs> just platitudes that we can do? <laughs> cut, don't cut off your nose to spite your face. Um, you got to see the forest for the trees. A lot of, a a lot lot of things of that we could all learn from here. Yes, but yes, life lessons. Um, it's like anything, constant improvement. You know, take it one step at a time. And certainly if Tesla is run by a pretty big entrepreneur, Sometimes you have to look at the failures, whether they're massive or even small, and keep learning from them so you can improve the next time out. So Absolutely. Interesting times in this space, and it's been good having some additional perspective on something that I've been reading a lot about in the news. So thank you for joining me, Suhas. My pleasure. All right. Another episode of Supply Chain Radio in the bag here. If you have any news, tips, tricks, whatever, feedback on the show that you want to provide, you can send us an email at scr.podcast at info.com. And of course, find us on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast network. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.